Morning, church. Great to be with you this morning. So go ahead and grab your Bibles. Go ahead and turn your Bibles on, whatever you need to do, or grab a Bible in front of you and uh, open up. And I'm going to go really slow this morning. You ready? To the Old Testament book of Habakkuk. Ready? Habakkuk. You say, I have no idea where that book is. Don't be ashamed to, you know, look over to the person next to you or the table of contents, something like that. Three little chapters, the book of Habakkuk in the Old Testament. So go ahead and find your place there. We'll start in chapter 1 in just a few minutes as we continue through this thing we're calling the story of walking through God's Word together as a church family this year. And today we come to the book of Habakkuk. Now let me kind of set the context for what we're getting ready to read and kind of set it up a little bit this morning. I don't, uh, I don't know what life at your house is like, but at my house we have a whole lot of little people running around. We've got a bunch of kids running around our house from ages 17 all the way down to 4. And if you have a lot of kids or one kid or whatever to run around in your house, you know all kids have some things in common. Uh, for example, all kids normally are really loud, and we've got a bunch of loud kids, right? Any amens from parents, anything like that? Secondly, you know that kids are are really messy and they break things, right? Can I get a testimony from parents? Just kind of messy and somehow our dishwasher right now is broken. How do you break a dishwasher? I, I don't know. Just, yeah, Jennifer. Third thing we know about kids is, especially the young ones, uh, we have a four and a six in our home, but especially the young ones, they, they ask a lot of questions, right? I mean, parents, you all can relate to that a little bit. And I mean, sometimes you, maybe you get home or you're driving in the car or you, maybe you're trying to read or watch TV or doing something, and it's just this almost constant barrage of questions, especially the young ones. And we can, on our really good days as parents, you know, when we kind of have the right perspective and we hear these questions and we realize, okay, it's in the questions that they ask in all honesty that they grow, right? They learn and their brain is growing and we're good parents and we say, yes, our children are growing with these questions. And, but let's be real honest, parents, right? There's, there's moments, Right? And maybe a lot of them where you're thinking, if I get asked one more question, my head is going to explode. You you all relate to that sometimes? We feel that sometimes. If we're not real careful what we can do, we can take a situation like that and we we can project that over onto God and we somehow think that God, like us in our weakness, become weary of questions, we think God's like that with us. And sometimes I've even heard statements like this from, you know, Christian people. We, we say some of the weirdest things sometimes. We say something like this, well, you know, it's really not ours to question God. We say things like that. And I think I get the spirit behind it. The spirit is we don't want to ever put ourselves in the place of God or we don't want to act as if we're not trusting God. We, we want to trust His purposes and His plans. But let me tell you something. You've got a bunch of people in this book as you walk through from Genesis to Revelation that ask God some really tough questions. God's not threatened. God deals with those, not in, 
Not in, again, not in rebellion, not in unbelief. That's not the point. But some people who have such an intimate relationship with God, like that little child and their parents who are willing to ask any kind of question. In the book of Habakkuk, you say, why are you telling us all this? The book of Habakkuk. If you want to sum up the book, there's a man, he's a prophet of God, and he is going to ask God some really hard questions. And the book of Habakkuk is God walking him through this personal journey of struggling with what he sees not happening, what he sees happening, and his questioning of God, something like this, and maybe you can relate. God, why are you not doing anything? (laughs) That's his first question. He looks out over his people. He looks out over the land of Judah. He sees injustice and all this wickedness. And he says, God, why don't you do something? Can you relate to that? And then God reveals what he's going to do. And his next question is, God, what are you doing that for? (laughs) Don't do that. And then God walks this man Habakkuk. It's almost like we're getting into his journal and we walk through three chapters of God dealing with him and gets him to the point at the end of the book he's able to say, and I rejoice in the Lord my God. Circumstances didn't change. God changes his heart. So we're going to take a look at that this morning. Habakkuk chapter 1. Again, let me quickly give you the context. We've been walking through a season or a, a period in the history of the nation of Israel and Judah. Israel has now been taken into exile and captivity by Assyria. Judah now remains. They're they're near the last decades of their existence as a nation, Judah, politically speaking, because their their hearts have shifted radically from God. Habakkuk exists during that day, and he's looking around at his people and the nature of of, of the relationship to God, and has grown so weary and so cold and so dead, and, and he's just grieving as he looks at the condition. And the nation of Judah, and he really begins by that. He asks God a question about that and says, God, I want to paraphrase for you. Why don't you do something? Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, I'll read it. Now that you know the context, maybe we can make some sense of it. Verse 1 says, the oracle, the oracle is a vision or a burden. God's getting ready to reveal something to Habakkuk. The oracle which Habakkuk the prophet saw, he says, how long, O Lord, will I call for help? And you do not hear. Anybody relate to that? He says, I cry out to you, violence, yet you do not save, you don't deliver, you don't do anything. I'm crying for you to do something. I look around at what's going on in Judah, and you're not doing anything. Why, verse 3, why do you make me see iniquity and cause me to look upon wickedness? Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists and contention arises. Therefore, the law is ignored and justice is never appealed. The wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, justice comes out perverted. You hear the tension of Habakkuk. He looks around and says, God, it's a mess. The nation's a mess. They're running from you. They're perverting your justice. They don't honor your word. God, when are you, when are you, when are you going to do something? That's his first question. God, why don't you do something? Well, then God speaks. God's not put off by his question. God's not repulsed by his question. Habakkuk, one of the things you see in Habakkuk as you're reading through, Habakkuk had an intimate walk with God, and he could be honest with God. I think it's one of the great things you see from the book of Habakkuk. He's not afraid to be honest before God. Never irreverent, but God, I got troubles. I Do something. So God speaks. Verse 5. God says, 
Look among the nations. Observe. Look around and be astonished. Wonder because I am doing something for you in your days. You would not believe it even if you were told. He says, Habakkuk, gear up. Because it may look like I'm not doing anything and I have checked out. You're not going to believe what I'm preparing to do. Verse 6, for behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans. Translation, the Babylonians. I'm raising up the Babylonians. And then God goes into a description of this nation and of this army that he is raising up. By the way, you need to understand something about the Bible. The Bible is not merely a book about salvation. The Bible is not even a book about merely the people of Israel or Judah. Do you realize the destiny of the nations of the world is told in the Bible? This Bible ties itself to history. This Bible is going to tie itself and give you even a a description decades before it happens of a rising army and how they're going to come and wipe out Judah and Jerusalem. And you know how it happens? Exactly as God foretold it. This book is unlike any other book that's ever been written. It spans thousands of years and holds within it the span of the history of mankind. And you can trust the Bible. So he says, I'm raising up the Chaldeans. And then he describes them. He says they're fierce. They're impetuous. Verse 6. They march throughout the earth and they seize dwelling places which are not their own. And they are a powerful force. Verse 7. They are dreaded and feared. Verse 8. Their horses are swifter than leopards and keener than wolves in the evening. Their horsemen come galloping. Verse 9. All of them come for violence. Their horde of faces moves forward. They are marching forward and nothing can stop this army that's coming toward Judah. Verse 10. They mock at kings and rulers. Verse 11. They will sweep through the wind and pass. They will sweep through like wind and they will pass on, but they will be held guilty. They whose strength is their God. God says, I'm going to deal with the Babylonians, but right now you need to understand I have raised up the Babylonians and Habakkuk. They are coming your way. Time out. (laughs) If you want to understand the book of Habakkuk, here's the tensions in the book of Habakkuk. God, why don't you do something? And God says, okay, here's what I'm going to do. And Habakkuk says, oh God, don't do that. Don't do that. See, we read this as literature and we we don't really even understand the depth of what God is saying. He's saying, I I want you to feel the tension of this. The world as you know it, Habakkuk, is getting ready to be turned upside down. Everything is about to change. So the question of Habakkuk becomes for you and me then, how do we, as followers of Christ, when we're facing a situation that we don't fully understand, when we're facing a situation that we want to go, God, I don't get that, I don't understand it, Or we find ourselves in the middle of one and we say, God, I don't understand why you're doing that. Or you're coming out of one and asking those questions, God, I don't get it. What were you doing? What were your purposes? How will we walk through the uncertainty and the fearful seasons of life? Because they're coming. (laughs) They're coming. I love 
the word of God. At the same time, it's dealing with the destiny of nations. It, like a surgeon's scalpel, comes and deals right where you and I are living. Do you love that? Because Habakkuk, Habakkuk is not dealing here with the mere inconvenience that's going to come into his life, right? His car's broke down. No, that's not it. He's not dealing with something that just maybe didn't turn out the way he had hoped it to. His life to the very core is getting ready to be ripped apart. See that? The Babylonians are coming, man. And they're not wanting a peace treaty. They're going to tear down the walls. They're going to tear down the homes. They're going to ravage our people. And the ones that survive, they're going to carry off into exile into Babylon. It's not good. And see, Habakkuk has the unique perspective of seeing that it's coming. We're sometimes in the middle and looking back. He sees it coming. So how did he respond? Very quickly, verse 16. Chapter 3, verse 16. Habakkuk got the sense of it. He said, I heard and my inward parts trembled. At the sound, my lips quivered. Decay entered my bones and in my place I trembled because I must wait quietly for the day of distress for the people to arise who will invade us. God said, it's coming. I'm not going to tell you exactly when, but it's coming. So here's Habakkuk with this tension. God, I wanted you to do something. God, you revealed what you're going to do. And now, now I'm even more perplexed and troubled than I was before. So for you and me, here's the question. How do we walk through the fearful, uncertain seasons of life? as a follower of Christ. So I'm going to give you four things in just a minute, but first I'm going to walk you through a few verses here that God gives us in Habakkuk. Chapter 2, verse 2, flip back there. God continues to speak to Habakkuk. He says this, The Lord answered me and said, Record the vision and inscribe it on tablets. Habakkuk, I want you to write this down. So the one who reads it may run with it. The vision is yet for the appointed time. It hastens towards the goal and it will not fail. You can trust me, it's coming, Habakkuk. Though it tarries, wait for it, for it will certainly come, it will not delay. It's coming, but it's going to happen in my timetable, God says. And then God goes into chapter 2, verse 4. Now, before I get into some practical things with you, I want, I want to deal with Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. Because in the book of Habakkuk, and I'll just say, really through the whole of Scripture, Habakkuk 2, verse 4, is one of the most important verses in your Bible. You say, you're kidding, buried back in Habakkuk? Sure is. Paul quotes it twice. The writer of Hebrews quotes it once. It's throughout your New Testament. And here's what God says. How are you living? Are you living in a way that is independent of God? I'm doing my own thing. I'll pour myself up by my bootstraps. I got this covered. I'm trusting my own resources. Or am I living, living out a life of faith? Two ways to live. Now watch this. This is huge. Why does Habakkuk say that here? And the answer is... Distress and pain and tragedy tend to reveal how we're really living and what we're trusting in. So he's saying, Habakkuk, 
If you and these people are going to survive what's coming and the onslaught that's coming, you cannot walk like, he says in verse 4, the proud one who depends on himself, holds his own head up, he leans into his own resources. That's not the way you'll make it, Habakkuk. He says, verse 4, Behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him. It's perverted. He looks to himself, his own resources. I'm the captain of my own destiny, so to speak. That's the Babylonians. Then he says, but the righteous will live by his what? Faith. Faith. Now listen. So Habakkuk says, the means that allow us to walk through life as followers of Christ is genuine, honest faith. It is the faith that we have that will carry us through. Now, hold on right there. I want want to wrestle with this for just a second. So when Habakkuk says, because this is so practical to where you and I live, don't, don't nod off on me here. This is huge. Stay with me in the next two minutes especially. Habakkuk, Help us here. Are you referring to saving faith, that faith that God saves us and we respond in faith and it's that that justifies us and makes us right, that moment in time that we become a new creation. Habakkuk, are you referring to that saving faith or, Habakkuk, are you referring to that sustaining, enduring, continuing faith that carries us through the rest of our lives. Which are you referring to, Habakkuk? Anybody know? The answer is yes. (laughs) Hang with me. Habakkuk is saying very poignantly to you and to me, and the Apostle Paul takes it and says it in Romans. The writer of Hebrews says it in Hebrews chapter 10. He says something to this effect. The emphasis in both Habakkuk, I'm quoting John MacArthur, the emphasis in both Habakkuk and the New Testament references goes beyond the act of faith to include a continuation of faith. Faith is not a mere one-time event, but a way of life. The true believer declared righteous by God will persevere and continue in faith as the pattern of their life. In other words, true, genuine, saving faith in Christ also carries us through and continues on to the end of our lives. It's enduring faith. And the application to that right away is don't hang your eternity on something that's just, I walked an aisle, signed a card, prayed a prayer. Does it continue on? Is it genuine faith that carries you through and sustains you? Because you don't have one without the other. It's the same thing. Think of it this way. The indicator that we possess genuine saving faith is a life of enduring and sanctifying faith that carries us through. Watch, especially in times like what Habakkuk is about to face. The stress, turmoil, has a way of revealing where our true faith lies. In ourselves or the God of heaven. There's a difference. And that's what Habakkuk says. So, for you and me, the question this morning, and I'm going to give you four things, is this. Okay. If ours is to walk through this life as followers of Christ with this enduring type faith that, that, that begins when we come to know Christ, but it doesn't end there, it continues. If, if ours is to live that kind of life of enduring faith, what does that look like? 
Here's your question. What does enduring, sustaining faith look like in our lives? I'm going to give you four things this morning right out of the life of Habakkuk because that's what you see in the life of Habakkuk. What does this enduring faith by which we walk through life look like? Ready? Number one. Life principle number one is this. Enduring faith hears from the mouth of God. What is it that energizes our faith? What is it that creates and begins our faith? Well, it's me pulling myself up by my bootsteps and trying harder. Nope, it's the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of Christ. Habakkuk throughout this as a follower, as a believer, is continually energized in his faith walk because he hears regularly from God. He's confused, he's perplexed. He, listen, we, we all can relate to this. He's wrestling with the what-ifs and the maybes and what if this happens and how's this going to happen and you've told me something in the future that I can't even get my mind around and he's just tempted to unravel in this moment. We all feel that from time to time. Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 1, he says this, I will climb up to my watchtower. I will stand at my guard post, meaning I will face what's coming head on. How? There, he says, verse 1, I will wait to see what the Lord says and how he will answer my complaint. Oh, that's beautiful. I love that. It says, I will stand. I will face what's coming my way. I don't even understand all of it, but I will stand and I will wait to hear what you say. Because the sustaining grace of God in our lives, this enduring faith is energized as God speaks. As we hear Him speak, as we're in such an intimate, abiding, nourishing relationship, there's a conversation going on. One of the, lo- one of the things I love about Habakkuk, it's a conversation. Man, he's talking to God, he's being honest, and God's conversing with him, and it changes the way he sees everything. So this enduring faith that we're talking about here is from the mouth of God. Henry Blackaby several years ago wrote an incredible study. If you've never taken it, man, you've got to take experiencing God. And he said this, I'm quoting Henry Blackaby, talking about this issue. I think we've got it on the screen. He says, if you're having trouble hearing God speak, you are in trouble at the very heart of your Christian experience. Henry Blackaby. Say, Pastor Mike, have you ever heard God speak in an audible voice? Absolutely not. He speaks much louder than that and consistently through the living word of God. Oh, are you in dialogue with God? Are you honest with him like Habakkuk? I mean, some of the most intimate times you'll have with God and growth times with God is when you go and say, God, I don't get this. God, I don't get why you're not doing something. And then God may, God, I, now I don't get what you're doing, but God, I'm coming to you and I'm being honest. And it reveals this depth of his relationship that he has with God that I think you and I long for sometimes. So this enduring faith that we talk about hears from the mouth of God. Secondly, let me give you a second principle quickly. Life principle number two is this. Not only does enduring faith hear from the mouth of God, number two, enduring faith rehearses what is true. Oh, man, I love this. I'll just say that if anything's going to help you where you're currently living, it's some of this that we're saying this morning, but particularly this second principle. 
See, the point of Habakkuk is, you have to understand, we're getting ready to read Habakkuk 1.12, when Habakkuk makes an incredible declaration of truth. But leading up to Habakkuk 1.12, I want you to get in the mental picture, he's standing on shaky ground. He's just heard from God what's coming that's going to turn his life upside down. He's standing on shaky ground, and he has all the questions. He has all the unknowns. He has all the turbulence in his heart. He's perplexed. He's fearful. He's wrestling with all of that. He's on very unshaky ground. Watch what Habakkuk does. In 112, Habakkuk steps out of his situation... He steps away from it for a minute and he clings to what he knows to be true. Now this is a massive principle for you and I as we walk with God. You and I live in an unsh- a shaky, unstable world. Things are thrown at us constantly. There are times we literally have to step out of our situation. And as followers of Christ, we cling to what we know to be true. That's what Habakkuk does. One twelve. after hearing what God was about to do, with all of his perplexing questions, verse 12 says, God, are you not from everlasting? God, I don't get it all, but I know you're eternal. He says, my God, my Holy One, I don't understand why you're doing what you're doing, but I know you're holy. And then he goes on and he says, we will not die. I'll explain that to you in just a minute, what he means by that. You, O Lord, have appointed them to judge. Now stop right there. If you don't read that and it doesn't give you a little pause, you don't know what, what he's saying. He's saying, Habakkuk is saying to God, God, the Babylonians are coming. They're going to wipe us out because you appointed them to do it. Right? What? We talk about that. He says, You, oh my rock, have established them to correct. God, you raised up a nation and have allowed them to prosper and are now sending them our way to correct your people. There is a beautiful picture here that He steps back from the shaky ground of uncertainty, confusion, and misunderstandings, and he rehearses to himself what he knows to be true. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a great commentator of days gone by, says this, Have you ever realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to listening to yourself instead of speaking to yourself? (laughs) I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how to figure this out. My mind's going this way. My mind's going that way. It's going all these different directions. And we're speaking to ourselves, and most often we're not speaking truth. Or we're listening to ourselves, and we're not speaking truth. The Bible says, or Martin Lord Jones says, no, speak truth to yourself. In other words, step out of the ground of unshaky future and cling to some things you know to be true. Enduring faith is founded on things that are not going to change. The unchanging nature and character of God. Listen to what Habakkuk says very quickly. He says, God, you're eternal. Eternal. Habakkuk lives in the midst of this situation. He's surrounded by, God, I can't figure it out. I don't understand the future. I don't understand the past. I don't know what you're doing, why you're doing it. But here's what I know about you, God. Watch this. You exist outside of this situation. 
Oh, that makes me feel better right there. God, you existed before it. You'll exist after it. And no matter what happens with the Babylonians, your character will not change one bit. You're eternal. And then he says another one. That's, that's, he says, you are sovereign. You appointed these people. They are not acting on their own. You sent them. You say, I don't fully understand that, that they're acting under the sovereignty of God. Listen, that's your option, and that's what Scripture teaches. Or your other option is, we follow and serve a God who's wringing His heads in heaven trying to respond and react to every situation. Well, I didn't know that was going to happen. I better come up with something. That's not the God of the Bible. Somehow we can rest in that. We don't fully get that and fully understand that. But Babylon, Assyria, ISIS, the presidential race, and cancer act at the bidding of our sovereign God. That's that's hard to take. Well, that's why Habakkuk says what he says next. He says, you are my holy one. Listen. You don't want sovereignty without holiness. Because you have a despot. God is absolutely sovereign. And at the same time, he is perfectly holy. Meaning, he's not like you or me. He's other than. We are created. He's eternal. We are finite. He is infinite. He never acts apart from perfect righteousness. Ever. So Habakkuk is saying, God, you are sending these Babylonians. I don't understand why you would choose to do something like this. But what's, here's what I know to be true. You are are holy and you are good and I can trust you in this moment tell you something I pray for you as the people of God and for me that you have some verses like Habakkuk 1.12 that you hang your life on and you are growing your faith on that you are able, listen, to get up in the morning and not build your day on the uncertainty of Fox News You're building your day on the unshakable ground of a sovereign, holy, eternal God who exists way outside of this world that we're wrestling through. See that? Isn't that awesome? Habakkuk rehearses what he knows to be true. God, you're eternal. God, you're sovereign. God, you're holy. Listen, fourthly, really quick. God, you're faithful. He says, we will not die. What does that mean? Some people are going to die. The we here is collective to the people of Judah. And the die is really we will not be obliterated. We will not be, we, we will not be cast off forever is the idea. In other words, the Babylonians are coming. They're going to tear down our walls. They're going to destroy our temple. They're going to kill many. But the nation, there is a future for the nation. There is a future and there is a hope. Why? 
Why is there a future for the people of God? Because God decreed it so in Genesis 12 when he said to Abraham, Abraham, there is going to come from you a seed, a nation, and from that nation is going to come a Messiah, and all the peoples of the world are going to be blessed. There was a future and a hope for Judah, regardless of the circumstances, because God decreed it so. That's why, if you read Jeremiah and you've got this verse on your wall or on your pillow on your bed, you didn't even know the context of it. That's why Jeremiah 29, 10, and 11, from captivity in Babylon, Jeremiah can say to the people of Babylon, or people of Judah, you were in Babylon in captivity for 70 years, but then I will come and do for you the good things that I promised. I will bring you home again. Verse 11, 29, 11, everybody knows it for the most part. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. Even from captivity in Babylon for 70 years because God, you got to hear this, God always keeps his promises. Always. You say, are we still under the Abrahamic covenant? Nope. We're fruit of the Abrahamic covenant. We're the ones blessed by the Messiah. The writer of Hebrews says, guess what? You got a better covenant. It's not a covenant made between God and man. It's a covenant made between the Father and the Son, and the blood of Christ is what seals the covenant. You as a follower of Christ are sealed in the blood of the new covenant as Jesus called it. Meaning, practically, you'll love this. You and I are as secure and our future is as certain as the Father's relationship to the Son. That's where your enduring faith comes from. See that? So we rehearse what we know to be true. Thirdly, and we'll do this one very quickly, and then we're going to apply some things and celebrate the Lord's Supper that symbolizes the new covenant in just a moment. Number three, enduring faith rehearses what we know to be true. Number, four, number three, enduring faith reads the end of the story. <laughs> we know how this thing ends. Habakkuk drops that down in chapter 2, verse 14. In the midst of all this turmoil and chaos of of not knowing what's going to happen over the next 70 years, he then is reminded by the mouth of God, 2.14. Go ahead and put that up. For the earth will be, future tense, filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Translation, he's not just looking to when they come back from Babylon, which they do. He's looking to that future kingdom when God in Christ makes everything right. Say, God, is there ever going to be a day that you're going to do something and make this world right? Yep, you know when it is? It's when King Jesus comes again and establishes his kingdom forever and ever and ever. But we're not there yet. Habakkuk is able to look beyond the Babylonians. He's able to look beyond the captivity. And he's able to say, God, you are using all of this. You are working all of this for your plan because you are building a kingdom. And watch this. God is building you. (laughs) And God's building me as kingdom citizens. And he uses everything with that in mind. Hey, this thing's going somewhere. God's not in heaven trying to figure it all out. Well, what am I going to do next year? I don't know. if it. God has the end determined. There will be a day when King Jesus establishes his kingdom and makes everything right. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Enduring faith anchors itself to that.
Number four, and we're finished. So Habakkuk walks through all of this, and if you haven't read Habakkuk, boy, I encourage you to just get alone and spend 20, 30 minutes reading these three chapters. Habakkuk wrestles with God. God's working in his heart, and then you come to Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 16. If you have your Bible, just flip over there. I want you to read this with me. It'll be on the screen, but we're going to close with the last four verses of the book of Habakkuk. So Habakkuk is, is wrestling. God is teaching him things. He's showing him what he's about to do, and then he's still distressed, and he's still perplexed, and he's still, watch this, he still doesn't have all the answers. And God hadn't changed his plan. Listen to what he says, 3.16. We read this a few minutes ago. We'll read it again. I heard and my inward parts trembled. At the sound, my lips quivered. He's still wrestling with this. Decay enters my bones. It's literally making me physically sick when I consider what's about to happen. Here's here's what that verse means. Habakkuk is incredibly human. (laughs) He's human. He is honest to God about the perplexities that he has. God, I don't get it all. God, it's making me physically sick what's about to happen. Because, he says in verse 16, I must wait quietly for the day of distress for the people to arise who will invade us. It's coming. The stress is coming. And then he says, verse 17, some of the greatest verses in your Bible are right here. Watch this. There's a little formula of how to walk in times of distress. Though, yet, God. Though, yet, God. Watch this. Verse 17. It says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, and there be no fruit on the vines, Though the yield of the olive should fail and the fields produce no food. You say, I'm not agricultural. What does that mean? The world as they know it's about to end. Economic meltdown. Everything that they've placed their confidence in is going to be turned upside down. End of the verse. Though the flock should be cut off from the fold and there be no cattle in the stalls. Though the world around me is unraveling. Verse 18. Yet. I don't miss this. Yet, I will exult in the Lord. The word exult, if you write in your Bible, circle that word. It is not the word exalt. To exalt is an outward demonstration. The word exult is an internal disposition of the soul. He says, the world is unraveling, but my soul is anchored. It is fixed. It will not be shaken. I will exult, how? In the Lord my God, and then outwardly I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. How can you say that, Habakkuk? Verse 19, because the Lord God is. Remember, he rehearses those things that are true. The Lord God is is my strength and he has made my feet like hind's feet he's given me the capacity to go where i couldn't go he makes me walk on my high places for the choir director on my stringed instruments meaning the end of the book of habakkuk is a song of praise and rejoicing to his god so what do we do with this 
I'm going to ask our team to come on up and just to begin to play. I, I want you to wrestle with this in all honesty before the Lord. Here's a guy who the world as he knows it is about to unravel. God has revealed some things to him, but he still has tons of questions. But at the end, after he has anchored himself in who God is, he has anchored himself in what the purposes of God, he has anchored himself in the holiness of God, he's able to sing a song and say, Yet I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. For the Lord God is my strength and my song. Is that you today? Should you bow your head for just a moment? Our team is going to sing over us in just a minute, and then we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. I want you just to take a moment right there, you and the Lord, a very serious moment. You've heard some challenging truth from God's Word. Right now, you and the Lord alone, ask yourself, am I, am I walking this life by faith? Or am I trusting in my own resources? My best thinking? Or am I leaning deeply into Him? You may want to ask yourself this morning a very serious question. Some of you may want to, some of you need to ask the question this morning, do I have genuine faith or am I just playing games? Genuine faith rooted in the person and work of Christ is a continuing, sanctifying, deepening faith like we saw in Habakkuk. Is that you? If not this morning, I encourage you, I challenge you, I implore you, cry out to King Jesus and place faith in Him. I'm going to pray over you. Trust that the Spirit of God's working deeply in your heart. Some of you are in the middle of tough situations. I know that. As our team sings in just a moment over, you may want to come down front like some did in the early service and make this a place to pray or place to seek the Lord right there at your seat. You do business with Him. Are you able to say, the Lord God is my strength. I will rejoice whether the circumstances change or not. I trust You. Father, we love You. God, I'm trusting You to now take Your Word and do a work in my heart and the hearts of the people in this room, God. We're able to walk through with enduring, God-honoring faith and no joy is found in you. In Christ's name we pray.